don't know if you guys ever played drums before. That's a full body workout. So give me a second. And your hands like still want to keep going. It's crazy. All right. First of all, if there's any pastors who are currently uh, on stage preaching, um, will you please silence your cell phone? That's a joke from last week because as I was preaching last week, I was getting to a really good moment. And my cell phone went, went off and it was right there. And it was revealed that my cell phone uh, ringtone is Indiana Jones theme song. So <clears throat> I took a lot of flack from that, but uh, we've moved on. Speaking of last week, last week we would begun a uh, two-week series called Not Ashamed, where we are studying the book of Rome, Romans, specifically verses 16 and 17. And so real quick, let me just give you a little bit of context again. This is, the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter to the church in Rome. It's the first, chronologically, in your Bible of many letters that he had written um, throughout churches, um, throughout the countries. And this was the first, and it makes sense that it was the first, because it unpacks a lot of Old Testament scripture, as well as the, the, the teachings that were being taught in the previous book in Acts, when churches were being built and the word was being spread. And so Romans really unpacks all of that, and Paul addresses who he is in the beginning in the first couple verses, and then the next couple verses he describes his recipients, the Romans, who would be reading this. He says, I've been intending for you to receive this letter. I've been intending to go and see you. And then he switches in verse 16 to the theme or the thesis of his letter. And in verse 16 is where we found our text last week, and we study mainly that, that verse, and then this week we're going to study mainly verse 17. But let's go ahead and recap and read the whole uh, portion of scripture we've been studying. So reading from Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Hear the word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As I've uh, mentioned last week, commentators have written of these two verses as being the most two important verses throughout all of Scripture. And one commentator even says that this might be the most two inver- verses written throughout all of literature. That's how juicy this text is that we're studying. It's how full of theology that um, this is. And we're going to study that today. Um, verse 17, which we'll be looking at today, has been well-known associated to the most famous reformer of our church, Martin Luther. Now, to really see the power that is found in this scripture, specifically this verse, we should begin this morning by looking briefly at the life of Martin Luther and how it was changed and even saved through the studying of this letter by the apostles. In 2017, which was the 500-year anniversary of the 95 Thesis being nailed to the church in Wittenberg, Germany, um, by Martin Luther. Uh, that, that was, this was the 500-year anniversary in 2017. We actually did a series on this. Pastor Brian did a seven-week series on this. And so if you want more information, I'm only going to give you a little tidbit about Martin Luther. But he's amazing. My wife, my wife was reading over the text last night. She's like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I'm like, wow, there's a lot more about the Reformation that's really cool and really important for your understanding uh, the doctrines that we study. So anyway, you can find all those um, sermons uh, on our website. Just click on media and then scroll down and you'll find um, that sermon series. But we're just going to take a quick look at the impact of this verse on the life of Martin Luther. So if you don't know who Martin Luther is, let me just give you a quick 
biography. He was a young monk in the late 14, early 1500s, and he was this young man who had been raised to be a lawyer but was felt called to serve the Lord. But during that time, as he joined the monastery, he became tormented in his soul. Tormented in the sense that he felt like he could never be righteous enough for God. He was scared to death of death because he was afraid that would be the end of his efforts to please the Lord. He was saddened when friends would die because he knew they weren't righteous enough. And so he was tormented. And there's, it's written that he would just pray and confess day and night that people would have to tell him, like, Martin, stop, stop, stop. It wasn't until he met a mentor and he told him, he said, Martin told him, he says, I'm just so scared to stand before this perfect God and face his wrath, and I am just not worthy enough. There's nothing I can do. I'm just not worthy. And his mentor said, well, you know what you should do to find the answer? Study scripture. Now, he had been at this monastery for a while, but had never really studied scripture before. Scripture wasn't available like it is to us today. It wasn't widespread and translated, but he got a hand, he's got his hand on a, a copy. And his life would be changed as he began to study the words of the Apostle Paul here in the book of Romans. Specifically, he himself, Martin Luther, accredited this verse as where he experienced the freedom that's found in the doctrine of justification. And again, the doctrine of justification teaches that sinners are made righteous by God. That's the simplest form of it. Saying that, that because of God's righteousness given to us, through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled. And so Dr. Justification is that we are now in right standing with God. He, Martin Luther, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, began to understand this gift of righteousness can only be given by God and not earned by any amount of confession or pious works. Can you imagine how free he felt when God revealed that to him for the first time? Like chains being bound off, like, the, wow, there is no effort or work or amount of time that I spend beating my chest over my sins that I'm in right standing because, with God because of something he did? Luther began to understand that he might receive the righteousness of God simply through faith in Christ. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's in our text. It is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through God's word and embraced or accepted through faith. Luther would write even more about this verse, Romans 1.17. He wrote a couple things about it that I'm going to share with you. He wrote, It is the chief article from which all our other doctrines have flowed. Martin called it the master and prince, the lord and ruler, the judge over all kinds of doctrines. He said, if the article of justification is lost, all church doctrine is lost at the same time. He would argue that in it, justification begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God wouldn't even exist for an hour. That's, that's how passionate he felt about the doctrine of justification. These are powerful statements in Luther and the Apostle Paul. And we do, we look at these this gospel and the power that's in it to reconcile sinners to God. Another commentator writes, commentator writes, if justification by faith 
is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. Our contemporary declines as a church worldwide are no doubt due to our failure to understand and appreciate and live by the doctrine of justification. Our church of our day does not stand tall before the world that we bow to it. That's heavy. All because the misunderstanding of the doctrine of God doing something to make us right with him. So what needs to change? Again, our text this morning, for in it, the gospel, righteousness of God is revealed from faith, from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So let's break that down, because that can be a little confusing, right? From faith, for faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. And so Paul is saying that God gives you the faith. He reveals, gives you the opportunity to have faith, to embrace it by the Holy Spirit, and then gives you now the opportunity to believe because he's given you the opportunity to believe. So what Paul is saying here is that every point of influence that the gospel has on your life is from God and only received by faith. Let me read that again. Every point of influence that the gospel has on your life is from God and received only by faith. So it doesn't matter how good you are or how, how sinless you were this week. <laughs> Every point of righteousness found in your life has been given to you by God. Only by faith not works. Again, so what needs to change in our, in our lives or in our church right now? What happened to Martin Luther? What happened to the reformers? What's happened over years to believers? What's happening right now, today, in churches all over the world? Can happen in us today. So where does this faith come from? How do I obtain this faith? Understanding that God is the only one who does all the righteous work is the key to having a life-changing relationship to the Savior. It's the key. It is through your faith that you will have the confidence to live in a way to have a life that God intended for you. You know, I would say that the majority of our problems in our life come from a lack of faith. The majority. I mean, you think about any sin in your life and and any calamity you might have in your life right now, and I could probably get it all the way back down to lack of faith. You know, whether it's you know a relationship or the way that you you live, you're living, and 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 you know, you just it just leads you down a, a rabbit hole. And and I believe that the lack of faith is the same thing we've always had a problem with since the beginning. It's God saying, you know what? I want you to live this way. I want, you, I want you to have a relationship like this. I want you to treat others like this. I want you to treat your enemies like this. And we say, oh, yeah, I don't believe that. We don't trust them. It's the same problem we've always had. We say, ah, it's like I fit my lifestyle. Right? A lack of faith. We don't trust God. We don't believe him. Because if we had faith that he was the almighty perfect creator, we would we'd be like, oh, yeah, you're right. God, if you said that, yeah, then I'll do it because I believe you. I trust you. 
it's like kids with their parents and you know it's like they tell you like you know it's an illustration he's all the time don't eat a box of oreos before you go to bed because you're gonna have a stomach ache no i won't stomach ache if they only believed their parents they wouldn't have that problem if they only trusted their parent they wouldn't have that problem if they only had faith that they were trying to provide for them and take care of them and give them the best of what they deserve or don't deserve So before I move on, I've already said this word a lot, and I want to make sure that we understand what it is, because there's a lot of church words we could say all the time. By the grace of God, maybe we don't understand grace. Oh, you know, glory to his name. Maybe we don't understand glory, salvation, justification, grace and mercy, all these words. Now, faith, I think, can be one of those words sometimes. What, what, what is exactly, what does faith actually mean to make sure we know what we're talking about? Faith is the means or tool by which a person is saved from their sins and the wrath of God. This doctrine of justification, being right in the eyes of God, is by faith. It is also by faith that a Christian lives their life and sustains their hope. So it's really simply put, faith is a response directed towards an object and defined by what is believed of that object. So you have a faith in a lot of things, right? The, the illustration that is most commonly used throughout youth ministry for decades is, anybody know what I'm going to say? Sitting in a chair. You know, I'll be at first priority or campus ministry and say to a kid, I say, come up, I want you to sit in that chair. And just come up and just like, boom. And then the example is, right, how did you know that chair was going to hold you up? How did you know? Or has anybody ever done a trust fall before? Oh, it's frightening. I don't recommend it. But if you want to experience, if you want to experience faith, I, you know, we could, I could have somebody come up right here, and then I'll pick out like six people from the congregation, and I'll say, just freely fall back. Somebody would be like, nah. Somebody would be like, you know what? I have faith in that. I had faith in them. You know, I had faith that my car would get me home from a rehearsal dinner of a wedding I was officiating last week. I got a flat tire. We put our faith in all kinds of things, right? It's believing in something that we don't totally know is, you know, we don't totally know why or how it happens. But we have faith in it. But Christian faith, however, is defined as trust, trusting in eternal God, believing in his promises that have been secured by Jesus. Faith begins with the, with the gospel, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So that's where faith begins, in the gospel. It's initiated by the gospel. And the reason you can understand it is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And then it becomes a personal action. That includes your mind, your heart, your will. And God asks that it be directly only towards him. So here's the equation, right? We like equations. One plus one equals two. A lot of people like math because there's an answer to it, right? So here's the equation for faith for me. I don't like math either. I saw like half of you go. This is the equation of faith. It's the power of the gospel plus the knowledge of the revealed righteousness of God plus 
trusting in his word, which is the Bible, these equal faith. One more time. Knowledge of the revealed righteousness, power of the gospel, trust in his word equals faith. That was the best I could come up with with my own definition, so it wasn't that good, so I added something else that somebody else wrote. John Calvin, um, pretty awesome theologian, wrote that Christian faith is defined as a firm and sure knowledge of the divine favor towards us, founded on the truth of a free promise in Christ and revealed to our minds and sealed on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's a good definition. So it's through faith that we receive Christ. So let's look at this verse again now that we understand it a little bit better. For in it, the righteousness of God for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed through Jesus from faith that's been given to us for faith so that we can actually have faith and live out our faith because it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul quotes scripture here and he says it is written, right? Anytime you see in the New Testament for it is written, it was written in the Old Testament. Okay? So, what Paul is saying here is that this has been God's teaching since the beginning. This wasn't like a New Testament thing, like we have to have faith in Jesus. Like this wasn't a New Testament thing. This is from day one, having faith, right? Adam didn't have faith in God's uh, instruction. If you ever get a chance to, you want to talk about faith a little bit more and understand it, read Hebrews. Now, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, is in the New Testament, but the majority of Hebrews is written about the faith of people in the Old Testament. It's really cool. I was going to read it all, but it would have taken a while. So I'm going to read you a couple of examples, but I want to start with the writer of Hebrews' definition of faith, right? Let me give you as many sources as I can. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Oh, isn't that nice? Let's start with that again. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their condemnation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So what, that, what does that mean? That what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Pretty cool, right? So... He goes on and gives several examples of faith in God in the Old Testament. I'm going to run through a couple real quick, real fast. These are actually the actual kind of cut-up verses. These aren't my words. By faith, Abel offered up to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So, I mean, that's pretty early on in the Bible that we're talking about faith here. Right? I mean, you know who Abel is? He's like the son of the first two people. So, he's like... Person three or four, you know? <laughs> By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he 
was to receive an inheritance, and so he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even though she was past the age. She considered him faithful, who had promised. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. The writer goes on to talk about faith, the faith of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the many, many ways of Moses. The times that Moses had to have faith. Let me run into this giant seawall of the Red Sea and hope it doesn't fall on me. No, God said, go, I'm going. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The writer speaks of Gideon and Barak, David and Samuel and Daniel. See, this has been God's MO for a long time. It's by faith that I work in you. God's people have always relied on faith, not on their strength. God's people are called to not rely on your strength. You're not you're called not to rely on your job. You're not called to rely on your success or your marriage or rely on your well-spokenness or rely on your knowledge. That's not what God's people calls you to do. That's not what God calls his people to do. God says rely on me by faith. Those who are recognized as the founders of our faith that we just listed were sinful people. That's good news for us. Because that means that all that stuff about them doing these mighty things, you know, through God, by faith, we have the same resume. You know the life of some of these people. But they believe that God had faith. They believed in God and had faith in his provision. They believed that by faith, their God would provide for them. It is what the Apostle Paul is speaking of today, a real saving faith. And so we even have a, a greater advantage than these people, especially Abel. I mean, we have seen God's revelation play out. Right? Abel barely knew anything except for what God had revealed to him. But us now, physically, like we have a, a Bible, God's word, that tells us that God was going to reveal himself fully through his son, Jesus, who was going to live a life righteously and perfectly that we couldn't, and that Jesus would go to the cross and die for your sins, and in three days, resurrect. He's alive ensuring our victory over death. And then goes and talks to people and then ascends into heaven, ensuring our eternal glory. We know how the story goes. We have an advantage in 2019. We have more reason than ever to have faith in God. <clears throat> so this morning, there's a couple types of people in here, and I'm not trying to condemn or convict anybody. I'm just, this is just what I think. So, so you know, you don't have to listen. <laughs> first of all, the first group of people that are here this morning are those of you, and as I look around there, this is a lot of people in this room. 
There are those of you whose faith in the Lord is increasing every day. You are seeking his word, you are going to him in prayer, and your faith is found securely in the gospel of Jesus. And I want to thank you who are in that group, because I often don't find myself in that group, and I'm very blessed by you. The second type of people here are believers, but you find your faith weak. You find yourself worshiping God on Sundays, even going to Bible studies. You're there at Adelphi Ladies. You're there at Covenant Men. You're even preaching the gospel on a, breach, on a brisk Sunday morning. But yet you feel like you often will want to conform to the world instead of the word. You do have that desire to grow in the Lord, to please the Lord. But you just find yourself falling and failing and having a lack of faith. Maybe you struggle in a fallen and broken world because you just feel too messy. Well, I have some good encouragement for you. I think Martin Luther probably would identify this group. I think reading through our scripture this morning, we know, we know Paul identified with this group. He called himself the sinners of sinners after he was saved. But the good news is, is by the power of the Holy Spirit, Martin's life, Paul's life, our lives are changed. And there's freedom found in the doctrine of justification. Group two, I just want to tell you that. That he saved us not by our efforts. This should set a fire in our souls to seek the righteousness of God by faith. And then the last group here, group three, has not experienced faith in Christ at all. Maybe you don't have a desire for life-saving gospel. Maybe you don't feel worthy of this gift of salvation. Maybe you feel like your past is too messed up. There's nothing that can be done for your shameful, sinful history. Maybe you'd rather not give up your current situation because living a life by faith would complicate that. I get that. Well, it's to this group I say, man, I'm so glad you're here today. Like I've said before, I don't believe God puts people through those doors by chance or coincidence. The God who ordains everything has ordained this. this I mean, this, you know what's cool? I always tell the kids this, that we'll probably never be the same group of people in this room ever again. That this is the 11 a.m. service on January 6, 2019, so this is our time. And God brought you in here for a reason, group three. I'm glad you get to hear this good news. It is to you, group three, I'd say, you're right, you're not worthy. But since Jesus is and offers you his righteousness, you could be made worthy and righteous right now. You could receive the power of the gospel today by simply believing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who came 
and died for sinners and then resurrected into heaven where he sits now on the right hand, the throne of God, awaiting the day to come to fetch us all, bring us into his presence for all of eternity. And he's going to usher us in as sinless saints. You've been reconciled, brothers, sisters. And what's great about today is a perfect day for us to be here. Because God's given us this gift of what we call the Lord's Supper, where we celebrate and commemorate with a bread and a cup Christ's death and the new covenant that was established and a new relationship that was established of right standing that we now have with him. This supper celebrates communion of sinners and God reconciled, right? So that's why a lot of people actually call this communion. Oh, did we take communion this week? That's what, it, that's, what it, that's what that means. It means you're celebrating the communion you now have with God. Now I want to be clear that this table is meant for believers in Christ. We are to protect this supper as Christians, and I would ask that if you are not a believer, just simply let the pass, pass the plate along. Just let it go. I'd also ask if you're a child who hasn't professed their faith before the elders, just do the same. If you're a believer, but you're rebelling against God and you're willfully in disobedience against God's word and you refuse to repent or ask for forgiveness, just do the same. But this includes all groups, one, two, and three. If you pray with me right now, whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time, and, de and we declare that we are sinners that have been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ who resurrected. Right now, if we pray that prayer together right now, then this table's for you. Even if it's the first time, group three. This table's for you because you're a believer in Christ. God's word also tells us to search our hearts when we come to this table to use this time to ask God for forgiveness and for a heart of repentance for anything that's displeasing. And, and let me just remind you, don't come, don't come scared like you're telling him something he doesn't already know. Come confidently. Come, come saying, Lord, you've seen the depths of my heart and the fact that you still love me makes me want to just lay it all down at your feet. Let's, I want to be clean of this. I want to be refreshed and renewed so that the communion between us can be as close as possible. Why am I hiding in this? He's already forgiven you. Jesus has already paid for all your sins. So I pray that we'd all be gifted with this gift of faith or, or strengthened in our faith today. So as the elders come forward and I prepare the table, take some time of personal prayer, time of silence. Come before him and confess your sin and ask him to increase your faith so we can enjoy him all the more. Let's go before the Lord.